You're listening to a message from Redemption Community Church, a life-giving church in Westchester County, New York. We pray this message encourages you today. Thanks for listening. We're continuing the series that we've been in for the past few weeks called Foundations. And what we're doing in this series is we're looking at some of the foundational beliefs and core doctrines of the Christian faith. And today, I want to talk to you about the doctrine of salvation. Now, hold that thought for just a moment. This past week, I was reading about uh, some stories of unclaimed uh, winning lottery tickets. This happens every year. Thousands of dollars are lost in unclaimed winning lottery tickets. I read a story about a woman in California who purchased a ticket worth $26 million, but she put that ticket in the pocket of her pants, and then she put her pants in the washing machine, and she washed that lottery ticket and ruined it. Talk about an expensive load of laundry. (laughs) The record for the largest ever unclaimed lottery ticket in the U.S. was a $77 million Powerball winning ticket that was sold in 2011 at a truck stop in Tallapoosa, Georgia, wherever that is. So if you were in Tallapoosa, Georgia in 2011, you might want to check that out because that ticket expired. When it comes to salvation, what we have available to us through Christ for so many, it goes unclaimed. For so many, it's unappreciated, it's unrealized, because so many people aren't aware of what's available to us through Jesus Christ. And I would say for many of us who are followers of Christ, who would call ourselves Christians, in many ways, we don't always live into the full realization, the full revelation of what Christ has done for us. And so today, I want to talk to you about salvation. And let me read to you from our church's statement of beliefs. And if you've never read our beliefs before, you can go to our website. They're there. But let me read to you about what we believe about salvation. Here's what it says. We believe salvation is the gift of God brought to humanity by grace and received by personal faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we believe about salvation. Now, speaking of salvation, uh, I was in Birmingham, Alabama a few years ago at a conference. And as I was leaving my hotel room to go to the conference, it started raining like heavy. I mean, like raining cats and dogs. And I got stuck underneath this overhang for a few moments waiting for the rain to pass. And one of the hotel workers came out, and she was taking a smoke break. So she's sitting there smoking her cigarette. And some guy walks up to her, and he says, are you saved? (laughs) In like the best southern accent. Now, come on, guys, can you imagine something like that happening in New York? You know, a southerner walking up to somebody in the subway. Are you saved? Can you imagine how a New Yorker would respond? I'm going to show you how saved I am. Get out of my face, right? (laughs) But here's the question. Has, Has anybody ever asked you that before? Are you saved? And what does that even mean? Sometimes that sounds like kind of a churchy term. Well, actually, I believe saved is the perfect term when we understand what Jesus Christ has accomplished for us. So here's what I want to do today. I want to give you two simple truths about salvation, and we're going to break those down. The message is going to be divided into into two halves, okay? Two simple truths about salvation, and I want to invite you to take some notes today. Here's the first one, truth number one. Salvation is immediate. Everybody say immediate. In a sense, salvation is immediate. When you put your faith in Jesus Christ, there is something that happens in you that is instantaneous and immediate. And here's what I want to do. I want to introduce you to a few theological terms, okay? How many of you are ready to be smart today? We're going to learn a few things in church. We're going to do a little theology. Okay, three of you. I'm believing for the rest of you to get there. By the time you leave here today, you're going to be a little more theologically educated. We're going to look at three terms and talk about what they mean for our salvation. And here they are. We're going to talk about regeneration, 
justification and adoption. Why don't we just read those out loud together? Regeneration, justification, and adoption. Each one of those has a really powerful meaning to what it means to be saved, to experience salvation through Jesus Christ. Let's talk about the first one. Regeneration instantaneously instantaneously changes your, your nature. Your nature. When you put your faith in Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God does something immediately. He regenerates, he recreates your heart. That's what Scripture tells us. We use other terms as well, like being born again. Maybe you've heard that before. Uh, but it captures this idea that there's a fundamental shift that takes place in the kind of person that you are, the kind of heart that you have. In a sense, God does a, a spiritual heart transplant on the inside of you. He takes out the, the, the sinful nature, the heart that has, a, that has a tendency towards sin, and he begins to put a new heart on the inside of you that desires the things of God. Uh, John Wesley, the famous British preacher and theologian and founder of the Methodist Church, he described the moment that he believed the gospel in his journal on May 4th, 1728. And let me just set this up for you. John Wesley was an Anglican priest and, and pastor, and uh, he was very disillusioned with his faith, very frustrated in his ministry. And he was invited by uh, this group of German pietists, these passionate German Christians known as the Moravians who were in London. He was invited to this meeting, and he met God there in a very special way, and he wrote about it in his journal. Here's what he wrote. In the evening, I went very unwillingly to a society in Aldersgate Street where one was reading Luther's preface to the epistle to the Romans. So someone was reading Martin Luther, the great reformer, his commentary on the book of Romans. About a quarter, quarter before nine, while he was describing the change which God works in the heart through faith in Christ, I felt my heart strangely warmed. There it is. Regeneration. He felt his heart warmed and changed. I felt I did trust in Christ. Christ alone for salvation and assurance was given me that he had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. John Wesley had this encounter with the gospel, this encounter with Christ. And what happened? God literally regenerated, recreated his heart. And this experience changed his life. It changed the trajectory of his ministry and the church and really the world in many ways. The Apostle Paul said this in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 5. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. The Apostle Paul tells us that God spiritually resuscitates us. He takes us from spiritual death and brings us to life. We go from being dead in our sins to becoming alive in Christ. God takes your heart, the heart of stone. This is what scripture says. We had a heart of stone, a heart that was hardened and, and unresponsive to God. He takes that out and he puts inside of you a softened heart, a heart of flesh, as scripture says, a heart that now is, is soft and desires to know and to love God. So that's what he does. That's what he does. Regeneration, it changes our, our nature. Number two, justification instantaneously changes your standing. So if regeneration changes your nature, justification changes your standing. Uh, if regeneration is the solution to the problem of spiritual death, justification is the solution to the problem of guilt and shame. The Apostle Paul said this in Romans chapter 5, verse 1 through 2. He said, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. 
and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. So what happens is justification takes away our sins. In a legal sense, our standing before God is changed. He forgives all of our sins, and we are declared not guilty. Any of you into courtroom dramas, any of you like those kind of shows, right? I want you to imagine yourself standing in the courtroom, and you have confessed to your crimes. You know you're guilty, and when the judge gets up to read the verdict, you're expecting to hear the words guilty and condemned, but because of what Jesus Christ has done for you, instead, God the Father, the righteous judge, declares over your life, not guilty. Not guilty because of what Christ has done. He's taken away your sin. It's as if it never happened. And Paul tells us because we've been justified, we now have peace with God. We now have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. How many of you know you can't put a price tag on having peace with God? To know where you stand with God. To know that there's not a distance between you and God and you don't have to wonder with how he feels about you, how he sees you. You know, just this past week, my brother and I, we were in New Orleans for my Uncle Robert's funeral. And uh, he lived to be 80-something, very godly man, had a wonderful testimony. And so many people said, we know where Robert is. His, his own sons, my cousins, multiple times said, uh, we, know where, we know where dad is because dad was ready. Dad told us he was ready. He was ready to meet God. Come on, how many of you know? Well, that's blessed assurance to know where you stand with God. It reminds me of an experience I had a week ago when uh, I was in just outside of Belfast, Actually, I was in Belfast, Ireland. I was preaching outside of Belfast at a church plant there. But they took me uh, in Belfast to uh, the Titanic restaurant, which is not far from the shipyard where they built the Titanic. And that reminds me of a great man of faith, a man named John Harper, who I've told you about before. Uh, John Harper was on the Titanic. He actually died uh, during the catastrophe, the sinking of the Titanic. And John Harper was a, a Baptist pastor from Scotland. He was on his way uh, to New York and, and, and on to Chicago to preach there. He was a great revivalist, a passionate preacher, a winner of souls. And when the Titanic was going down, he placed his six-year-old daughter on a lifeboat and he ended up in the waters. And several eyewitnesses say they, they saw John Harper literally swimming to people and asking them, are you saved? Do you know, do you know Jesus? He recognized that people were freezing to death. They were going to die. And he came to one man and he said, are you saved? And the man said no. And John Harper took off his life vest and he threw it to the man. And he said, you need this more than me. And a witness said the last thing they heard John Harper say before he plunged beneath the frigid waters of the North Atlantic. He said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. Talk about peace with God, church. Talk about peace with God. Justification gives us peace with God. You can rest. You don't have to strive or perform or fear God anymore. All of the sinful things that you've ever done, all the things that we wish we could, we could change, the hurtful things that we've said and done to others, the things that we've done to ourselves that we wish we could go back and change. All of those things are taken away, and you are forgiven. It's as if they never happened. But then it gets better than that. Not only does justification take away our sins, but then justification also adds something. In a sense, God adds to our spiritual bank accounts the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Look at Philippians chapter 3, verses 8 through 9. It says, for his sake, for Christ's sake, I have discarded everything counting it all as garbage, so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. 
I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ Jesus. It's no longer about my righteousness, my ability to appease God, but it's about the righteousness of Christ Jesus. Church, I want you to understand, not only did God wipe out your debt of sin, but he also, he then placed, he put Jesus Christ, his righteousness, into your spiritual bank account in a sense. So I want you just to imagine for a moment you receiving a notice from the federal government that your student loans were forgiven. Can I get an amen, anybody in this place? Do we have some young professionals who can say, let it be in Jesus' name? <laughs> okay, come on. How many, how many of you homeowners would like to receive a notice from the bank that your mortgage is forgiven and you don't have to make those payments anymore? Anybody, you would like to receive that blessing. Now, that would be, yeah, revival's about to break out in the church this morning. That would be blessing enough, wouldn't it? But here's the picture I want you to understand. Imagine the federal government or the bank going beyond that and saying, not only is your loan forgiven, but we've placed a million dollars in your bank account. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Church, that is the picture of what has been done for us in Christ Jesus. Not only are we forgiven, but God has, in a sense, applied to us the righteousness of Christ Jesus. Paul said it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. God made him, Jesus Christ, who had no sin, to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The Apostle Paul tells us that God treated Jesus Christ like us. He was treated like a sinner. He went to a cross, paid for our sins. God treated Jesus like us and put on him all the sin ever committed so that in turn he could treat us like Jesus Christ. And we receive the rewards of Jesus Christ's holy and righteous living. So that when God looks at you, he now looks at you and sees you through the lens of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And oh, if we could ever get that into our hearts and our minds, it would change the way we see ourselves. Because we're so mindful of our sins, our shortcomings, and our failure. But listen to me, according to Scripture, that is how God the Father sees you. But here's the challenge. You can't accept God's grace and his righteousness for your life until you let go of your own righteousness. I think for so many people, it's not their bad deeds that stand in the way of them having a relationship with Christ. I think for so many people, it's their good deeds that stand in the way. It's their sense of pride of, of being a good person. I have spiritual conversations all the time. It just happens naturally for me when I meet people and they ask what I do for a living. We just start talking about faith and religion in church. And, and quite often people will say to me, well, I'm striving to be a good person. You know, isn't that what you're all about, pastor, being a good person? I'm like, well, it doesn't quite work like that. Just being a good, good person. And I think that's what stands in the way of so many people fully experiencing the righteousness of Christ because they're so fixated on their good deeds, the good things they've done in the sense that they're a good person. But what we have to recognize is that we come to this relationship with God spiritually bankrupt. There is nothing in the bank. We only tap into the righteousness of God by faith through Jesus Christ. We bring nothing to the equation. The great pastor Tim Keller, he said it this way. If you want to become a Christian, all you need is nothing, but most people don't have it. <laughs> most people struggle to bring to a relationship with God the sense that I, I bring nothing and I'm a sinner who desperately needs the grace and the mercy of God to be applied to my life. Here's the third thing. Adoption instantaneously changes your position. 
So regeneration, it changes, changes your heart, changes your nature. Justification changes your standing before God. Adoption changes your, your position. Now, we all understand how adoption works. When a family, when a, when a parent or parents adopt a child, that child comes into the family and they receive all of the rights of any child that was born biologically in the family. That is the way adoption works. But I think something even more special happens because the parents actually choose that child. Come on, parents. How many of you know we didn't get to choose our children? We got three boys. People ask us, are you going to keep going for a girl? I'm like, how do you think we ended up with three boys? We kept trying for a girl. And finally, my wife figured it out. She's like, don't touch me, okay? You don't, you don't give me girls. You don't get to choose, right? But there's something special about adoption. You get to choose that child. And adoption is a picture of what God has done for us through Jesus Christ. Look at this, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 5. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. It was his will. It was his plan. God actually chose us even in our sin when we were away from him. The scripture says God loved us, right? When we least loved him, before we even knew him, he chose you to be a part of his family. That is adoption. And adoption means several things. Adoption means we can actually know God as Father. It's amazing. And I think sometimes we kind of take that for granted as New Testament Christians. We know that we can pray to God as Father. But I want you to understand this. What Jesus Christ has done, he's made that possible. He changed the, the way we relate to God. And one of the most amazing things that Jesus Christ came to do is to reveal God to us as, as a Father. Not just Creator. Not just righteous judge of the universe, but we can actually have this intimate, personal relationship with him so that we can pray, our Father, which art in heaven. We no longer relate to God out of guilt or shame or condemnation, but, but we can know him as a loving, heavenly Father. See, religion says, I messed up. My dad's going to kill me. How many of you said that when you were a kid? I messed up. When my parents find out, when my dad finds out especially, He's going to kill me. That, that's the religious mindset, the religious way of relating to God. Religion says, I messed up. My dad's going to kill me. Sonship, daughtership, adoption says, I messed up. I need to call my dad. He's the first one I need to call. He's the one I need to call out to because he's a God of grace and love and mercy. And he's not a condemning God. He's not a taskmaster God, but he is a loving, heavenly father. That's made, a, that's made possible for us. We're adopted through Jesus Christ. Adoption also means you're a co-heir with Christ. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11. Furthermore, because we are united with Christ, we have received an inheritance from God, for he chose us in advance, and he makes everything work out according to his plan. The Apostle Paul says we've received an inheritance from God. And maybe when you think about what you got from your parents, they're the positive things, but we're all aware of the negative things. Maybe, maybe you think about the things that were passed on to you from your parents, and a lot of times it feels more like a curse than a blessing. Maybe there, you know, there's the dysfunction and the bad habits and sometimes the genetics. Like, hey, that's just part of being a human being, right? Like, none of us are perfect, and we pass down our in, imperfections. But I want you to know that you have a new inheritance in Christ Jesus that God is storing for you. You've been adopted. You come into every blessing, every promise, every good thing is stored for you in heaven through Christ Jesus. You are welcomed into the family of God. 
You're adopted into the family of God. You're not just being saved by yourself. You're being saved into a people, into the family of God. And adoption also means you have a new identity, a new identity. You're a child of God, and that changes you. That, that defines you. I've got some friends down in Tegucigalpa, Honduras, John and, and uh, Tara, and they actually run a, a school and a church and an orphanage there. And I went to visit them. I believe it was 2011. And I'll never forget something John said. He was telling us about when they first started adopting the children. And many of the children that they've adopted are kids who come from, you know, the most broken stories. I mean, children who were neglected and abused and abandoned and kids they took in off the streets. And I'll never forget, John told the story. He said, when we first started bringing the kids into the house and legally adopting these children as our own children, he said, every Christmas, people would bring Christmas presents for the children. And he said early on it was a big commotion because the kids would fight over the presents. There was a lot of jealousy and possessiveness and insecurity. And so the Christmas presents, you know, kind of caused commotion in the house. But over the years, John and Tara, they just kept loving those kids. They just kept treating those kids as if they were their biological children. And they showed them the love of God. And over time, God was healing their hearts and healing their minds, healing their emotions and, and, and changing their identity. And he knew one year, he said one year we knew we had a breakthrough. When the people brought the Christmas presents and the children said, oh, mom and dad, we don't need those gifts. Those are for the poor children. Those are for the poor children. Why? Because they no longer saw themselves that way. They saw themselves as sons, as daughters. They knew who they were. They were provided for. They were secure. Listen to me. That church is the power of adoption. It literally changed these children's identities. And that's what God the Father wants to do for you and for me so that we literally, through Christ Jesus, we see ourselves differently. We no longer feel estranged from God. We no longer feel defined by our past and our sins and our failures, but we have a new way of relating to him as sons and daughters. So salvation, in a sense, it's, it's immediate as you experience regeneration, justification, and adoption through faith in Christ. But here's the second part, number two, salvation is also progressive. You say, wait, Pastor Jeremy, I thought you said it was immediate. Well, it's both. It's both. Salvation is, is in a sense, immediate, but it's also progressive. See, as we study the New Testament... As we look at it closely, we recognize that the writers of the New Testament describe salvation uh, in past, present, and future terms. So that we can say, and this is biblically accurate, God has saved me. He has regenerated my heart. He has justified me, right? He's, I have, I have uh, right standing before him. He has adopted me. He's changed my identity. God has saved me. God is saving me. And God will save me. He will finish the work that he began in me. One day when he returns, he will complete my salvation. And we're going to talk more about that next week. So in a sense, salvation is immediate, but it's also progressive. It's, it's a process. And this process is what we call sanctification. This is our last theological term for the day, okay? You can, you can breathe now. Sanctification is just a fancy word for the process, the outworking of what the Holy Spirit is doing in us and through us. And so when we place our faith in Jesus Christ, our nature, our standing, and our position are changed, but it also sets into motion a lifelong process by which we are becoming more like Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul says it this way in Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 13. He says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, 
continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Now, that means reverence. We know we no longer relate to God out of fear, so this means we, we relate to him in worship with a sense of holy awe. Verse 13, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to fulfill his good purpose. I want you to notice what Paul says. Paul says God works in you, and we work out our salvation. God works in, and we work out. Let's all say that together. God works in, and we work out. One more time. God works in, and we work out. In other words, God works in us by the power of his spirit to change our hearts, to help us to overcome sin, and to produce the fruit of the spirit, love and joy and peace and patience and kindness. But it's our role to respond and to cooperate with God's grace. We're saved by grace. There's nothing we can do to save ourselves, but we respond to that grace and we work out our salvation. How many of you know no one else can go to the gym to work out for you? <laughs> no one else can get up and go on that jog for you. There's your responsibility to, to respond. And I don't know about you, but this is so encouraging for me because there are many days where following Jesus and being a Christian, it feels like work. Anybody with me? Is it just easy for you every day? Like, don't you wish every day we could wake up and the worship team could just follow us along and lead us in worship? And we could have an encouraging message and the prayer team could be here to pray for us. I don't know about you, but there's a lot of days when I try to pray and I can't focus. There are a lot of days when I open my Bible to try to read my Bible and my mind is distracted. And there are a lot of days where it doesn't feel like love and joy and peace. It feels more like frustration and complaining and selfishness. I know y'all are more spiritual than me, but I have days like that. You ever have days where you get up, you put some worship music on, like, I'm going to have a good day. This is going to be a great day in the office. I'm praising my Savior all the day long. And you get to the office, and the first person you see is that annoying coworker that you can't stand. And the spirit of slap comes over you. Come on, you ever just want to slap somebody? That's somewhere in the Bible, somewhere, the spirit of slap. Or parents, I know the parents can relate to this. Come on, you're going to have a good day. You're going to get up and go to church, and we're going to be in the house of God. We're taking our family to the house of God. But on the way to church, your kids are acting like they're demon-possessed. You're doing an exorcism in the car on the way to church. It's a struggle sometimes. I have days where I get up and I go for a prayer walk to renew my mind, and then Jogger Girl comes running by in spandex to distract me. Is anybody else living in the real world like me? Some days it feels like work. Here's what I want you to know. You are a work in progress. If it feels like progress, if it feels like you're a work in process, that's, that feels about right. Because what happens in a moment will work its way out for you for the rest of your life. Salvation is a process. The Apostle Paul said in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 through 10, For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith, and this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. In other words, we, we did nothing to achieve it. We have nothing to boast about. It's only God who's done it. But then you got to keep going to verse 10. Here's what it says. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And Paul says we're saved by grace, but for works. We're saved by grace, but for the good work that God wants to do through you and me. Another translation says we are God's handiwork. I love the New Living Translation. It says, for we are God's masterpiece. In other words, God didn't just come to save you from something. He came to make you into something. 
He didn't just come to save you from your sin. He came to make you into something, into someone, a child of God, a son, a daughter of God. Salvation isn't just transactional. It's meant to be transformational. It's not just a transaction. We don't just go to Jesus and exchange our sins and, you know, go to him for professional sin management services and have this transaction. It's meant to be transformational. We're being changed over time. God is working in us to conform us to the image of Christ. Your salvation is going somewhere. It's leading you into becoming more and more the redemptive person, the redemptive man or woman of God that he made you to be in the first place. Oh, I love 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. That's who you are a new creation in Christ Jesus. And I think if we ever really started believing this, it would change our lives. Why is that? Because I think we tend to experience spiritual imposter syndrome. How many of you have heard of this psychological phenomenon of imposter syndrome? It's where you struggle to, to have confidence in who, you're, in who you are. I think for many of us, we feel like our reality is that we're really just sinners trying to project that we're Christians and saints. And we come to church on a Sunday morning, and I think so often as we're worshiping together, our conscience wants to accuse us. The enemy wants to remind us of every failure, every sin. Maybe the argument we had in the car on the way to church. We're tempted to believe that that's who we really are. And we're just trying to be something we're not as Christians. Anybody else ever wrestle with this? When in reality, in Christ, the sin no longer defines you. The sin no longer defines you. And in reality, you are a child of God. That's who you are. Your past no longer defines you. Your sin no longer defines you. Your pride and your anger and your lust and every wrong thing you've ever done. Listen to me, church. you got to be able to say confidently, because of what Jesus Christ did for you, not because of anything you've done, that's not even who I am anymore. I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus. Two summers ago, I visited Florence, Italy, and I got to see the famous David Sculpture, You know, this is the masterpiece that was created by Michelangelo during the Renaissance between 1501 and 1504. And what's amazing is to think about how the David statue, it started out as just a big block of marble. Um, in fact, two sculptors worked on it for about 25 years unsuccessfully before Michelangelo was commissioned to, to complete this work of art. And here's the thing that hit me. I'm sure if you could have seen that sculpture in the early stages, it wouldn't have been very impressive. I'm sure if you could have seen that sculpture when it was halfway complete, it would have been hard to, to understand just exactly what Michelangelo was crafting. But how many of you know what's amazing is Michelangelo had a picture in his mind of what that block of marble would become. In fact, one person said that Michelangelo freed David from, from the block of marble. Church, here's what I want you to understand. According to the scripture we just read, God is the master artist and you are his artwork. You are a masterpiece under construction. He is molding you. He is shaping you. He is building you. He is forming you into who he desires you to become. You are a work in progress and you're not complete. And there's going to be days where you fail. There's going to be days where it feels like one step forward and two steps back. There are going to be days where we sin, where we mess up. But on the days when you're tempted to give up and throw in the towel, I want you to know that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. You're a masterpiece under construction and when God is done with you, you're going to come out looking a whole lot like Jesus Christ. That is the picture 
That is the picture. That is salvation in progress in your life. And so salvation is an invitation to become something you could never be on your own, to come back home to your Father and to become God the Father always intended you to be. And so in the words of John Harper, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. Amen. Hey, can we just take a moment to pray? Can we just take a moment to ask God to take the revelation of salvation, what he's done for us through his son, Jesus Christ, and to make that real to us, to make it fresh to us, especially to those of us who would call ourselves a follower of Jesus. Would you just pray, just pray with me. Father, we thank you for your great love. God, we thank you for the good news of a savior. We thank you for your son, Jesus, and your spirit at work in, in this world. And God, we're asking you today to give us a greater revelation of just exactly what you've accomplished for us through your son, Jesus, that, Lord, we would walk in and live in and experience the fullness of salvation, that we would recognize that we haven't just been saved, but, God, you are saving us, and you will complete the good work that you began in us. You, you are regenerating. You're putting a new heart inside of us. And, God, you've justified us so that we know where we stand with God and we have peace with him. And we've been adopted into the family of God, that we would truly believe we're sons and we're daughters, that we wouldn't believe any lie of the enemy that would say we're anything less than who God made us to be. And as we're praying this morning, I want to pray for the person who would say, Pastor Jeremy, I want to know God that way. I would love to have that kind of relationship with God. I wouldn't even know where to start. He feels so far away. I'm so mindful of the things that I've done and of my sins. Or maybe you're in the other category and you'd say, well, I've always thought of myself as a good person, but I recognize that I need a new heart. I recognize that I need God to, to change my desires. I recognize that, that uh, I need justification. I want to have peace with God. I don't want to have to strive and wonder where I am with him. I would love for my identity to be a child of God. And, and we believe if there's a longing in your heart for that today. We believe that is the, the gentle invitation of a loving God who is drawing you to himself, to his son Jesus by his spirit. And I want to invite you just to pray with me today and to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. Would you just pray with me? And it simply starts by saying yes to Jesus. So just pray with me. Just say, Jesus, I give you my yes. I say yes to you today to follow you. I believe you are who you said you are the Son of God. Pray this with me. I believe you lived a sinless life on my behalf, that you went to the cross for my sins, and you were resurrected to give me new life. I place my faith in you. I turn from my sins, and I trust in you. Regenerate my heart. Justify me today and make me a child of God. Father, I thank you for every person who prayed that prayer. God, I thank you that the scripture says if we confess our sins, you're faithful, you're just to forgive us of our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I thank you that the scripture says your spirit testifies to our spirit that we're born again, sons and daughters. We're never the same. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's message. If you'd like more information about our church, visit us online at redemptioncommunitychurch.org or follow us on social media.